0: Hello everyone, this is a sermon for Sunday the 30th of May, uh, which is Trinity Sunday. And I'm also preaching this sermon on the day of my daughter Mary's baptism. So this is, if you like, a special sermon, uh, which is uh, personal to me as well, taking in the themes of the Trinity and of baptism. So I think, um, well I hope anyway, that it's interesting for you to listen to and that you benefit from it. So I will begin. So I wonder what your reaction is to the word Trinity. Now, I think it's very easy for us to have a reaction to that word, which is one of perhaps coldness or confusion. The doctrine of the Trinity can seem like something which is perhaps illogical, perhaps something inaccessible and perhaps something that doesn't really add anything to our our conception of who God is or what he's like sometimes you have explanations of the Trinity like well the Trinity is like an egg so the Trinity is is uh, is, is three things in one a shell uh, a yolk and then also the white bit as well and that's a little bit like what God is like um, now I don't know if you find that helpful. Um, I think that it's likely that that might come across as perhaps just a little bit confusing. Alternatively, if we leave out the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, we might come up with a very different idea of God, perhaps. So I think of, for example, the late journalist and atheist Christopher Hitchens, who, when he was speaking about the existence of God, said, I think it would be rather awful if it were true. There was a permanent total round the clock divine supervision and invigilation of everything you did by some celestial entity from the moment of your conception to the moment of your death. It would be like living in North Korea, very inventive way of talking about atheism and and the existence of God or the potential existence of God by Christopher Hitchens. The fact is, I think if we leave out the doctrine of the Trinity, then Christopher Hitchens might be right. And the reason I say that is that The Trinity really is the foundational doctrine of the Christian faith. All the other doctrines of the Christian faith are in some way included within or contained within the doctrine of the Trinity. And so my argument here really is that we must reflect upon and treasure this doctrine of the Trinity. And if it does come across to us as cold and illogical and hard, we need to find another way of approaching it. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, Christ commissions his disciples and says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the Father, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so as we baptise today, we can make the observation that there must be some kind of link between the Trinity and baptism. Because when we're baptised, we're baptised into the name of the Trinity. So I think I'm going to try and draw that out in what follows. So I'll start today by talking about the Father, the Father, God the Father. Who is God the Father? What is he like? Let's go back to Christopher Hitchens, talking about this celestial North Korean dictator in the sky, watching us all the time, ruining our fun, making sure that he's always invigilating and and making a tally of everything that we're doing. Now, that view of God could be right if God was just a solitary individual if he was just by himself alone in eternity, just one God by himself with no object of of love or affection. In which case, we might ask the question, well, why did God ever create the universe? Why did he create human beings? Well, you might say, if God was just by himself, perhaps he created the universe and human beings in order to complete himself. In the words of Jerry Maguire, you complete me, God might say to the universe. He needs friends, perhaps. He needs an object of love because he's alone and solitary within eternity. In one of the oldest creation myths that we possess, the Babylonian creation myth, the Enuma Elish, the god Marduk creates the world and the humans within it to be his slaves. So perhaps that's the reason that God created the universe. If he is just one. But the difference the Trinity makes is so important. If we imagine that before the universe, God was complete within himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a trinity of love and joy and fulfillment, which exceeds our comprehension infinitely. God was always a Father because he always had a Son. This is why it's so important that the Son has always been, because God the Father has always been a father. It is fundamental to his identity. God is more fundamentally a father than he is a creator, for example, because there was a time when he hadn't created. And so God, within his core identity, if you like, is a father full of love, joy and happiness, overflowing with love and joy In his relationship with his son and so then we might ask the question well why did god create the universe why did he create us and the simple answer to this is that his love for his son overflows god's god the father's love for his son overflows in creation just like a human couple when their love overflows in procreation so god's love overflows in creation and many early church theologians have made the comparison and said that God is like a fountain which must overflow in order to be itself and so in the book of Genesis we read over and over again when God creates it was good, it was good, it was very good and the reason for this is because creation at that point was an overflow of God's very self that love, joy, peace, beauty, goodness characterised creation and is fundamental to its intrinsic identity The bad things that we see in creation, pain, death, disease, suffering, etc, are secondary. They're not intrinsic to the nature of creation, but they came in later. No, creation is very good, very beautiful, very peaceful and perfect because it is an overflow of God's love for his son. Consider the way that small children and animals play. The way a dog chases a ball, for example, or children play hide and seek and other silly games which create lots of mess. The fact is that all of these things are totally pointless, except for the fact that they bring joy and happiness. Now, I would put it to you that this joy and happiness that children and animals engage in when they are playing is reflective of God's holy joy and love in creation more than many miserable religious duties and that this gives us an idea of who god is in his intrinsic nature full of love joy and happiness and so in baptism we enter not into slavery but we enter into a loving family the family of the holy trinity which overflows in creation now we must help baby Mary to enter into the joy of the father and to understand that joy and that love as she grows up. So that's a little bit about the father. What about the son, Jesus the son? Well as the father overflows in creation so we might say the son overflows in redemption and that God delights in both of these things. Now we need to be redeemed because the love of God in us has been reversed if you like. The love of God goes outwards, always focused on another. But we have turned that love inward. And so when we talk about the fall of humanity, what we mean really is that we have turned our love inwards so that we are selfish and proud and egotistic and full of concern for ourselves and no longer for God and for his creation. There's a famous definition of sin is that we are incovertus in se, which means turned in upon ourselves. And so in that sense, we resemble that lonely, selfish God that perhaps Christopher Hitchens was talking about. Now, the Son demonstrates the love of the Holy Trinity by coming to earth to show us what God is truly like. And supremely, he shows us that in the cross, which is his act of giving up his own life for the redemption of the world. So much so that one of his followers, the Apostle John, said, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. The cross teaches us what God's love is really like. And so if we want to know something of the mystery of the love and the joy of the Holy Trinity, the best thing to do is to look at the cross and to see that's what the love of God is like. It is a love that's always going out from itself, always giving of itself even to the point of the Son giving his life for the world. And so if the Father is a fountain of love and life, we also have this image of the Son as a sunbeam coming out from the sun in the sky, shining forth from the Father, warming our hearts, giving us life, redeeming us through his work. And so in baptism, we are baptised into the death and resurrection of Jesus. We die to selfishness and sin and egotism, and we live a new life to God and the world around us. We follow after the pattern of the cross, and we must remember that that pattern is not, is not morbid, but it's a, it's a pattern of self-giving joy. The writer of the Hebrews said of the cross that it was for the joy that was set before him that Jesus endured that cross. It's all for joy and love and life, and we must model a life of sacrificial self-giving, And pray that it becomes a reality to Mary, who we are baptising today. And finally, a brief word about the Holy Spirit. Now, there was a 12th century Parisian monk called Richard of St. Victor. And he thought a lot about the Trinity. And he came out with this, see what you think. He said, well, if God is just one, he cannot be love because he has no object for his love. If God is two, well, maybe he can be love, but perhaps that love is exclusive and ungenerous, selfishness for two, as we might say. But if a love is secure, if a love between two is secure and healthy and joyful, then that love shares with a third. And so we can say that the Holy Spirit is God's sharing of his life with the world. And he does this supremely through dwelling in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In a passage in Romans Chapter 8, the Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit dwells within us and testifies to our spirit that we are sons of God. And if we are sons of God, then we are inheritors. We are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Now, when we say sons here, don't misunderstand. This means everyone, men and women, boys and girls alike. It just means that we inherit all the promises of God in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirits that this is the reality. The Holy Spirit frees us therefore from fear that God would reject us or hate us. Like the loving Father who welcomes home the Son after his life of sin and debauchery, so the Father will always love us and the Holy Spirit assures us of this. Elsewhere the Apostle Paul talks about the way that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead now lives in our hearts through the Holy Spirit and so the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life which is patterned after Jesus Christ and is obedient to the purposes of God. He gives us the power to do this through the Holy Spirit who dwells in our hearts and so in baptism Mary receives today the Holy Spirit, the seal of adoption into God's family. We must pray for her that that seed would grow and blossom into a mighty oak of faith, that she would be free from fear, that she would be able to resist sin and embrace a life of self-giving, sacrificial love, knowing the happiness of God. And so the Trinity is the most important doctrine of all because it contains all the other doctrines of our faith. It shows us that God is a loving father, overflowing with joy and abundance, and that this is the reason that he created the world in the first place. It shows us that the son overflows in love, in redeeming the creation through his incarnation and his work on the cross. And it shows us that the Holy Spirit is the sharing of God's life with the world empowering us to live a life of godliness obedience courage and happiness and so may we all but especially today baby mary may we all know and experience the love and the joy of the holy trinity all the days of our lives amen thanks so much folks i hope you enjoyed that sermon god bless you all